Hi, I'm Jay Robinson and you're listening to the NL Full-Time Podcast. Hello and welcome to another NL Full-Time Podcast and my goodness me, uh, there's got to be some sort of title about cat and pigeons um, in this week's because my goodness me, the title race... Uh, is turned into a roller coaster. Uh, the battle for third place is literally on a knife edge, um, and the jostling for position in the playoff places too. And that's just the National League. Um, some heartbreak and some heart-stopping moments in the North and the South this weekend as well. Uh, joining me as ever um, from the depths of the Midlands. Uh, is uh, Richard Wharton, Dickie Morning, uh, Dickie Wharton. How are you doing, Dickie? I'm all right. I've um, I've been dragging myself around the lovely Shropshire town of Market Drayton this morning uh, on a 10k run. So uh, yeah, but I'm feeling all right for it. You're feeling all right. Let me tell you, listeners, there was a spring in Dickie's step <laughs> today. A little bit more on that to follow later. But uh, continuing a theme of getting our good friends from BT uh, Sport on the podcast, literally. Hot footing it as we speak, bang fresh from the uh, title shootout, if you like, between Wrexham and Stockport is uh, Adam Virgo. How you doing, Adam? Yeah, very well, thank you. Yeah, as you mentioned, just on my way out of Wales at the minute. So, uh, mm. yeah, oh, but an incredible game today and, yeah, very much looking forward to talking about it. All right, well, we've got to start there. Um, I've just uh, caught, I know, Dickie, you, you were out on your run. You weren't able to catch it. Obviously, Adam called it. Uh, as the uh, commentary summariser on BT Sport, I, I listened to the first half, watched the second. And of course, what that meant, Adam, is I've had to uh, rewind my recording to actually find the three key moments. And um, ultimately, Wrexham have won it 3-0. That puts them a couple of goals ahead on goal difference on points. Now, Stockport County have a game in hand. That game in hand is against Gary Johnson's Torquay on Wednesday and to be honest, even if they win that 3 or 4-0, it's going to the wire now. Um, Adam, let's come to you for your thoughts on the game itself. Massive crowd, over 10,000. Um, and uh, it, what was it like pre-match? Because I know that Wrexham started the game a little nervy, didn't they? Well, they did. I mean, I got to the ground about nine o'clock and drove through Wrexham and, and the pubs were full. You know, there was so many people out early to, you know, really gain the atmosphere and and be ready for the game. And as you mentioned, just over 10,000. It, it was a really great spectacle. I think it just shows how far the National League has come in terms of, you know, the stature of everything. We, we were fortunate enough to have the game on when I think there was one other game on. So in terms of the National League getting good um, I, I thought it was the perfect game uh, to start with. But as you mentioned, I thought Wrexham started a, a little bit nervous. I thought first half an hour, I thought Stockport were excellent. I thought Sarsovic in midfield really dominated. Uh, Young in that sort of midfield area, drove the ball forward well. I thought Hippolyte played well. And Paddy Madden had a good couple of chances. And one of those chances go in, then we may be talking about a different game, but he didn't take those chances. Um, and then it was already really down to Brexton playing well in the last 20 minutes and again get another goal from Toza long throw. 
Yeah, I think I know. I know when they scored one from one of his throws against Aldershot uh, a month or two back, it was like the tenth or eleventh one of the season. It's a known weapon, but it's not a weapon that's very easy to defend against, Adam, is it? I mean, most often, traditionally, with the long throws, somebody key and big and strong gets a flick on, and then it's a question of havoc behind it. You know, it might go in off a defender's head. Another another striker might get on it, but. So many of those direct throws have been headed in directly, just one contact with his head from Ollie Palmer, and that was the case again today. It, it was, and it, I think it's an area of the game. It's, it's not like balls into the channels, and in the 90th minute, you may have a tired player that's kind of chasing it down, or you know, a shot from distance that can be tired as well. You know, Bento's throws are just as effective in the first minute as they are in the 90th minute. And it is relentless. And he hits them in with the same velocity. He hits them in with the same pace. And he hits them in low. They're not loopy throws. They're, they're low and they're hard. It's, it's almost like defending a cross. Mm. Um, and all it needs is a little touch. Mm. We did the game against Solihull. Just that one lapse of concentration. Palmer managed to get goal. You talk about the goals against Aldershot when they scored from a long throw. It's a real weapon to have. And for 90 minutes, you have to switch on with that. And just timing again, defending against it is hard because you've got to mark the player and you've got to keep your eye on the ball. Whereas Palmer or Hayden, whoever it is, just needs to keep an eye on the ball. And I know they've worked on that area of the game and they use it effectively. Um, you know it's going to come, um, but man, the stopboard just couldn't manage to defend that one properly. And uh, it was a goal that I think Wrexham needed at the time. And once they got their goal, then... For me, there was no looking back from them. They reacted well from scoring the goal. Stockport didn't react from scoring the goal. And that was really the theme afterwards of the game. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we mentioned a couple of times in terms of potency of forward lines. I've now McCullers to the mast. I believe Wrexham's is the best front three. And believe me, there are uh, some good front threes out there in this division. But... uh, uh, so Palmer with the first and then Jordan Davis with an absolute eye of a needle pass, perfectly um, executed, taken in his stride by Paul Mullin. And then just almost almost paused, almost stopped as he got his head down and concentrated over the drilled low finish uh, to double Wrexham's lead. Uh, Palmer credited with a, a slight contact, probably just a hair, <laughs> on, uh, on Jordan Davis's free kick for the third goal. But... They're all in form, aren't they? And that might have been the difference, you know, in terms of the strikers. Madden's been in decent form. But for the teams as a whole, Adam, um, do you think ultimately it's that greater confidence and momentum that Wrexham have got that, that got them through today? And what, if anything, can you see that's that's not firing for Stockport? Because they've lost four in six now. Yeah, I mean, they've, they've hit a wobble. Um, you can't deny that, but... You know, as experienced as the manager as Dave is, um, you know, Wrexham had a little wobble at the start of the season at home. They, they really struggled for goal. Even though winning games, they were struggling to win games. Um, but now they, they found an abundance in goals, um, especially at home. He went quickly down the middle. I was trying to work out the team before the, before the team lines came out. And I was trying to think, does he start quickly or does he bring in Crankshaw and play one off? one-off Madden, so they just got a, a compact midfield of runners from central positions, and I think they've got the wrong call starting quickly today, because I felt that the way that Tozer wants to play, the way that uh, French plays, the way that Kluwerf plays, they're, they're, they're players that don't necessarily have an abundance of pace, and 
you could see at half time he made the change and he brought on he brought on Connor Jennings who didn't really get into the game as much. Um, but you have to say that I, I think Will Cotter's been a big loss for them. I, I, I really do. I think since getting that red card against Yeovil, um, they, they, they really, yes, they beat Chesterfield without him, but I still think today was a, a, a team without him. I think they looked a little bit weaker in that midfield area, especially in the, the end of that first half when they probably needed a little bit more energy. Um, but it, listen, it's still in their own hands, but blimey, they've got two tricky games to go. My goodness me, they have, and they've got to take on, in terms of management, Dave Challoner's got to take on uh, Gary Johnson and Pete Wilde. And, 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 and if you were Dave Challoner uh, and you were able to maybe eliminate a couple of managers that you didn't have to come up against in the last uh, couple of games of the season, those two would probably be on his list. Um, well, we'll come a little bit more onto what lies ahead further into the podcast, but that pretty much wraps up what happened at the race course. As I say, level on points now, Stockport two games left, Wrexham just the one, but Wrexham just edging it with goal difference, thanks to that three-goal swing or six-goal swing, if you like, today. Uh, Now, the battle for third place was quite intense too, uh, and it's got even closer going into the final weekend. Um, Going into yesterday's games, Halifax potentially... Uh, mathematically, he still had a very outside chance of the title, but they, they potentially could have wrapped up third place if they had beaten Aldershot Town and Solihull Moors had failed to beat Dagenham. But it didn't happen. Uh, it was the other way. Uh, Halifax, despite a pretty dominant performance, uh, couldn't put Aldershot away. Um, just the 1-0 up, thanks to um, a goal on the hour mark, uh, a rasping drive from Martin Woods, who uh, ironically only came on um, to replace Kieran Green, who went off injured. He also assumed the armband and he took full responsibility, putting Halifax ahead. It's fair to say that prior to that and after that, young Aldershot Town goalkeeper Ryan Hall, who was given the man of the match in the non-league paper, made uh, four or five uh, you know, really, really good, strong saves. Three, I think, I'd have expected him to make a couple that were absolutely outstanding. And those saves uh, came back to pay dividends later on when Mikhail and, Do- and Jolie uh, got his um, third goal in six games recently and his sixth of the season to earn a draw for the shots. Um, and, and what a difference that makes to the battle for third place because you've got a similar scenario now. Solihull Moors, um, and we'll come on to their game against Dagenham in a moment, but they won that. And that now puts them via goal difference um, just in a little bit more control going into the final day of the season. Um, Adam, I think I said to you recently that over the last few weeks, the two sides I've seen that looked the most cohesive, that were just well-oiled and going through the gears, were Solihull Moors and Dagenham. And they met yesterday, uh, and it was Solihull Moors that prevailed 3-1, ending any faint, um, well, didn't quite end any faint hopes for Dagenham in the playoffs. There's still a scenario where they could make them. But uh, Solihull coming out on top there, and I mean, we've already said what a good job Neil Ardley's been doing to have Solihull Moors in the playoff place. But in control, Adam, going into the last day of the season uh, for third place and a one-home match to go through to the playoff final. It is, and they've just been uh, clambering slowly up that ladder of the playoff positions, uh, rung by rung over the the past few weeks. Um, They had their, um, you know, 
they lost one nil at Stockport County with pretty much a last minute goal. But I'm sure, as as disappointing as that was, you know, they could take a huge amount of heart for that that they were so close um, to to leaving there with a point. Um, and yeah, they just continued continued that yesterday. Um, uh, Callum Howe um, and Callum Maycock had them in control by the 21st minute. They had Jamie Osborne sent off for straight red card just a couple of minutes later, but it didn't seem to derail them. Alex Goodyear added a third before half time. Um, and yeah, Josh Walker got a goal back for Dagenham in the second half, um, just 10 minutes in, but they weren't able to overturn that. And it doesn't surprise me. You know, I think there's a lot of, I think there's athleticism in that Solihull lineup. I think there's a lot of ability in that Solihull lineup. We talk about Joe Sabara pretty much every week. I think he swept the board at Solihull's um, Player of the Season Awards last week or, or picked up an awful lot of them. I think he's going to need uh, uh, shares in Brasso to be polishing all of those over the next uh, few months. But yeah, tremendous. And, and to get it against a team, again against Dagenham, who you know clearly had to come and have a go if they were going to try and make it into the playoffs, is a, is a great result for them. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we talk a lot about Solihull Moors and Sabara and Dallas and Newton. Um, none of them on the score sheet. Three different other goal scorers. And another stat, key stat from this match, um, they really showed their uh, mettle in defence because Dagenham and Redbridge mustered 25 attempts on goal on uh, Saturday to Solihull Moors 9, and yet Solihull Moors won the game 3-1. And there was a different face, Dickie, in goal for Solihull Moors. Yeah, indeed there was. Um, It it came out, I think, on Friday that um, um, I actually spotted it through Eastleigh first because uh, Joe McDonald's joined them um, until the end of the season. I would take it he's been given special dispensation by the league, Solihull have reported that they've got two goalkeepers injured, which um, leaves them short. Ryan Boot, obviously, um, is is the main man in goal for Solihull, and he's got a an injury that's going to finish his season. Um, so they've had to act. Um, they've they've clearly picked up a goalkeeper from a team that aren't going to be in the playoffs. Joe McDonald, I think, quite pleased to be given the opportunity to take part in that at the end of the season. It is just until the end of the season. It's not a move beyond that. Um, but yeah, when you think how important Ryan Boot is to Solihull Moors, they did need to act quickly. Um, I, it's not a thing that Neil, I think Neil Lardley could leave to chance of putting something like a third choice goalkeeper in in the situation that they're in. When you know they're they're going to be playing playoff fixtures, they could potentially be playing a Wembley playoff final. Solihull Moors, and you you know you need an experienced goalkeeper there, and they identified one, and, and they've gone and got him. Yeah, and fair play to Lee Bradbury at uh, Eastleigh for letting McDonald go when that call came in. Uh, Notts County have all but secured fifth place now, um, which would give them a home match in the Eliminators. Um, and, and, and fair play to them for doing that. They've had a, um, an interesting week uh, in the home game uh, against Dover on Monday. Uh, there were a lot of boos around Meadow Lane and, 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 and a lot of the fans not happy. But they got the job done again comfortably on um, Saturday against uh, a decent Altrincham side who incidentally have, have now made the decision. They've put the, uh, put the plans in place to go full-time next season. Uh, we'll keep an eye on that, of course, during pre-season and see how they're looking for that. But for Notts County, um, another one of those teams with... Uh, a potent strike force, and you always think Notts County, you think, oh my goodness, how are we going to start Roberts and Wooten? 
and Rodriguez. And, uh, well, Alti couldn't stop any of them, could they, Dickie? They all got on the score sheet again. Uh, and and Notts County, they've they've suffered a bit of criticism from us. Like me last week saying they're a bit too nice. Um, you know, Adam Summerton saying they're not consistent enough. But I tell you what, in the end, if they do nail fifth place and one home time in the Eliminator, they uh, they they give they give themselves a, a fighting chance, don't they? Yeah, absolutely, they do. You know, they're, 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 you, you've spoken about the, the, the players and the ability, the, the, the goal-scoring power that they've got in that team. Um, Altrincham, you know, held them till half-time, but they took it away from them in the second half with three goals. Two of them coming quite late on, um, but it doesn't matter when you get them as long as you get them. Um, oh, uh, interesting thing in the mix this week as well, in that Ian Birchnell's name um, was mentioned in connection with what seemed to be the, the vacant manager's job at Lincoln City um, because Michael Appleton's uh, stepping down there at the end of the season and as much as um, there may be some Notts County uh, fans who aren't completely convinced by Ian Birchnell so far and he's you know he's been there for over a year now people on the outside looking in uh, are potentially you know liking the look of what they're seeing in Birchnell um, maybe that's just a little bit of a distraction they don't need at this point in time to be perfectly honest but you know they, they got the job done yesterday and you know beaten playoff finalists last year they will even though they've been you know got a slightly harder path to get to that again this year um they'll be keen uh, as all the teams in the playoffs will be to just go as far as they can and and, and try and go one better you talked about potent weapons up front and uh, in Roberts and Wooten and Rodriguez all on the score sheet on Saturday those players are going to give Notts County a fighting chance in the playoffs aren't they yeah, they certainly will do. I think that, you know, the way that they went out last year against Torquay, I'm sure Ian would have learned a lot about his team and the way that maybe he set up in that game away from home. But they missed Cal Roberts last year towards the back end of the season and now they've got him back firing again, which he's had another fantastic season. You're talking about the trio of Wrexham. I'm pretty sure those three will push that trio in terms of the front line. Um, but listen, they play good football. They're, they're a very, very good football inside. My, my only concern about Notts County is away from home sometimes. Do, you know, do they have that, that fight in them? Do they have that bite in them when things get a little bit different? Football insides, you could argue that they're, up they're one of the best football insides to watch. But I think sometimes when you need to roll up your sleeves a little bit, um, they can go wanting. But again, there'll, there'll be another side certainly fancying their chances. Absolutely. Um, as the table looks at the moment, it looks like they'll be at home to uh, Grimsby or Chesterfield uh, in the playoff eliminator. So they'll get one opportunity at least at home. Um, and then, well, there's too many clubs involved in the equation for us to guess where they might go um, for a potential semi-final. But just below them, Grimsby and Chesterfield, uh, well, they had wobbles on Saturday, just when they both could have secured their playoff places mathematically. Both of them came unstuck. They both lost games, um, and it will have been to Dagenham Redbridge's huge uh, frustration, I'm sure, that they weren't able to uh, capitalise against Solihull Moors. Um, so for Grimsby, um, they were beaten by. Well, one of the two ultimate party poopers in the National League, Maidenhead United, uh, three goals to one, just didn't go their way. It was a horror couple of minutes for Luke Waterfall, the Grimsby centre-back, who uh, put 
Maiden head ahead with an own goal and then got sent off, given away a penalty uh, just two minutes later. Um, and that was pretty much the main story of the game there. But Paul Hurst's men look good for a playoff place. Remember, they've still got two games left as well. Um, as for Chesterfield, though, uh, they slipped up too. They went down 2-0 um, to Gary Johnson's men, Torquay United. And I'm pretty sure, Adam, that ever since um, Torquay United were mathematically confirmed they couldn't play or make the playoffs, they've set about trying to stop other teams make them as well, haven't they? Yeah. Um, you know, I suppose it's Aaron Downs um, on the weekend and... You know, Gary Johnson's a manager. He's an old school manager and he'll want to finish the season strongly. He won't want to be turning up to these games and kind of going through the motions. That, that's not in his DNA. That's not him as a manager. Um, and, and Chesterfield found that out on Saturday. They, they were way off the pace, Chesterfield. I mean, it, it, we can talk about the injuries and suspensions that they've had and we can talk about the change of manager. But, you know, Paul's gone in there. I think he's lost eight and 16 now. Um, doesn't know his, still doesn't know his best team, still doesn't know his best formation. Um, they don't look like scoring. Um, but they're, they're absolutely everywhere at the moment. And, you know, Gary Johnson's sides, um, Jim McKenna played really well um, on Saturday. Right back took, a, took the goal really, really well. Um, and then I, I would say it was a dubious penalty on Armani Little when Jim Kellerman sort of tugged the arm a little bit. But I think Little drew in the foul and, and won his side a penalty. But, I have to say, Chesterfield deserved nothing from the game, um, not even a point. Um, and you feel for them because you mentioned that Dagenham probably saw that result and thought, you know, this gives us a real chance, a real opportunity. But, you know, away at Solihull was always going to be a difficult game for them. Um, but I, I fear for Chesterfield. I, I think they're going to, I don't think they'll make the playoffs the way that they're going at the moment. No, and, and, and coming back to Dagenham, the interesting thing is they're three points behind Grimsby and Chesterfield. And I mentioned that game in hand for Grimsby. But if we just leave Grimsby aside for the moment and look at Chesterfield, on that final day, Dagenham have a six-goal better goal difference than Chesterfield. So if they win and Chesterfield slip up on the final day, Dagenham can jump in to that final playoff position. And of course, Dagenham, as we know, um, are going to be playing Wrexham in the last game of the season. And Dickie, that one's got a bit of a history about it, hasn't it? Didn't that happen last season as well? And didn't Dagenham put a bit of a... Uh, a spanner in the works. Yeah, they did. And, you know, uh, is history going to repeat itself? It, it It's incredible to think that it's been set up that way. Um, I'm sure that wasn't planned when the fixtures came out, but the fact that that could potentially happen again, um, you know, just a year ago from when it happened is, is quite something, really. And Chesterfield, uh, Adam, one point that I think you made uh, yesterday, I don't know if you wanted to expand on it here, but Inside Khan, they have a real talent, don't they? But he doesn't always start. And he only got on for eight minutes at Torquay yesterday. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think it's the, I think the results, if, if I'm trying to put a manager's head on a little bit, I think the results, I think, have tinkered the way that Paul maybe thinks with, with going with Kellerman in the middle with Weston and then Oyeliki coming back. He's, I think he played them at the three. Um, against Grimsby and they got beat heavily four goals to one I, I just think Khan is a player that can offer you something different from that midfield area you know we talk about the midfield runners in the National League time and time again and I think you know Sadu is certainly a player that's got an abundance of quality and, and, and the thing with him is he's got he's something different than what Chesterfield have in that midfield area because the three players that you know Eliki Kellerman and they're all the same player 
So you need you need someone to make that run forward from that midfield area if you're going to be playing two wide players in Asante and Mandeville, which they did. Um, so yeah, I mean, Adam asked me several times what substitutions I would make. I mean, it's, this is a lot easier from doing it from the gantry rather than from pitch side. But I, I didn't see the sense of bringing on Kellerman instead of Khan because you, you needed a little bit more in that midfield area and listen it. It's a tough job being a manager, but I just thought maybe Paul got that one wrong yesterday. Mm. So that's the playoff and the title situation kind of wrapped up as much as we can for now. Um, looking at some of the other results in the National League yesterday, Boreham Wood, where well, we talked about the season that might have been for them. Uh, they're in ninth place. They've still got a couple of uh, games left. Um, but I think to uh, all intents and purposes, their, their, their playoff um, hopes came to a sticky end at, uh, against Yeovil. They were 2 0 up, and uh, Nathan Ashmore had uh, saved the penalty as well. Um, Marsh and Denon Lewis on the score sheet. But uh, credit to uh, Yeovil, who, who came back in that one. Uh, second half goals from Williams and Wilkinson. Um, so that pretty much ended uh, Boreham Woods' uh, playoff hopes. Um, a little bit further down, Bromley. Uh, they drew two all with Dover. And the noticeable thing about that, we've given Hessenthaler and Dover a lot of credit for you know, just keeping competitive this season. But if there's one thing that's uh, been consistent with Dover, they've been in better situations in a lot of matches, Adam, you know, around about the hour mark and kind of faded, fizzled out, maybe lacking that little bit of extra fitness or whatever. But uh, oddly, they were the ones that came back with two late goals at Bromley. Uh, Collins with both of them, 10 minutes from the end and on 90 minutes um, and there is some significance in that comeback too, because it gives Dover something they haven't had all season, a point, a positive point. And that will mean a lot to Hessenthaler and Dover, won't it? Yeah, it, it will do. Um, it, it, listen, it's been, it's been a really, really tough season for them. Um, they've had to wait a long, long time to find that win that was against Eastleigh. Um, but, you know, Andy's dipped into the youth system and... You know, brought players into the fold, and and those players are gaining valuable experience, and they they're gaining valuable fitness. And I think you're now seeing those fitness levels a little bit better now towards the back end of this season. Um, full credit to them because listen, they could have easily thrown in the towel and been an easy game for everybody. But you know, even against Wrexham, that that, that amazing game that they had, um, you know, they they still gave a great fight. And there's you know, there's a lot of good young players coming through that system now that have been given opportunities and chances and being put in the shop window. Um, it, it's sad to see them go because I think they've been effective in the National League, even under Chris Kinnear, um, when he took the team to the playoffs. They've had some good players in the past. Um, but you, you're quite right to mention, you have to say, they have gone down fighting. Um, and, and these young players will learn a lot from this experience that, that they've had towards the back end of the season. Yeah, Absolutely. Um, Eastleigh, fifth from bottom, can't finish any higher, could still be picked on the final day by uh, Aldershot, but they've had a pretty wretched run of form of late, um, but they went to Woking, who've been hit and missed too, under Daryl Sahl, uh, and he was absolutely scathing afterwards. Um, if you get the opportunity to listen to his couple of minutes, uh, BBC Surrey Sport uh, interview, that's on on Twitter um, that's fascinating because he really did call it as it was. And I've got uh, a little excerpt from that quote here. 
Our team is devoid of a winning mentality, character and resilience, all of the basic things you need to do to win games. Uh, when pushed on uh, Jamar Lozer's sending off for just petulantly kicking out at Brennan Camp, um, he said that's the sort of thing uh, a school kid would do and uh, you don't do it. Winners just don't do that. Good reaction from the Woking fans to calling it as it is there from Darren Sahl, but uh, he's going to have to uh, reshape his team a lot, isn't he? He's going to have to make a lot of changes for next season, Adam, if Woken are going to be compared. Yeah, I mean, they, Alan tried to change it this season. Um, Darren will go in there and see the mentality of that club at the moment, since there will be elements when it's good, it's good, and Woken are a decent side to watch, and when things click... Um, they, they've got some good individual players, but I think Barrow will be looking at the mentality of this side because you know you can have quality at that level of where Woking are at, but you need leaders and you need winners and you need people that can grind yourself out of difficult situations and not not be turned over far too easily in certain games. Um, and he's got in there to do a job. He's been given a project, which he said when he took over in his first interview, that he was really excited about the journey that he wants to take this club on. But I think it's really important. I think he's doing this now. He's sending out to the message, if you don't want to do it my way, I don't want you here next season. And those players have had enough opportunity in games and chances to show him that if they want to be there next season, he'll keep them. If he feels there's any inkling that he's not going to get 30, 35 games of consistency out of them, then he'll be looking for, to bring in other people of his own, which I'm pretty sure he'll have his own idea of who he wants to bring in and, and certainly who he wants to move out of the club. That's it. One more game. Barnet, um, 18th, he's just above Eastleigh, finishing the season a little, a little bit stronger after a difficult run. Um, they're 18th at the minute, but looking at the points total, they could finish as high as 14th with a win on the last day if other results go their way. They beat uh, Weymouth, of course, already relegated by two goals to one on Saturday. Uh, Adam Marriott on the score sheet again. He was comfortably into double figures by the end of the season. Um, And uh, three decent points there for um, Dean Brennan's men. And that pretty much wraps up the National League. Other than just looking ahead to those uh, final week's fixtures, um, your thoughts going into them. Are you going to sit on the fence, AMAC style? Listen, before the game, we said who's going to win. And I said Wrexham. Lou Garrard said Wrexham. Aaron said Wrexham off there. Matt Smith asked him the question, who's going to win? And he's completely (laughs) sat on the fence, completely. He doesn't like upsetting people, honestly. And that's why I get all the stick week in, week out from all the fans. Brilliant stuff. Adam, pleasure to have you on, as always. We'll uh, look forward to a feast of football over the next couple of weeks with the final day's fixtures and the playoffs and uh, we hope to see you somewhere along the way. My pleasure boys, thanks for having me. Exercise. It doesn't have to mean lycra or a fancy gym membership. A regular brisk 10 minute walk is a great way to get more active. Picking up the pace and getting your heart pumping can make a real difference to your health. To see how much you're doing and how you can fit more into your day download the free Active 10 app. Better health. Let's do this. We're going to take a look at the National League North now. Well, in the National League North, congratulations once again to Gateshead, who, of course, wrapped up the uh, title last weekend. But they finished the season in front of 4,100 spectators at the uh, International Stadium. 
they got a 2-1 win against Hereford. Um, they would have loved a third goal um, because they finished the season on 99 goals. Um, and Macaulay Langstaff uh, hit a brace to ensure that uh, he won the golden boot. And uh, he's, uh, he's a striker, Dickie, who uh, National League defences will have to look out for next season if he's still playing his trade at Gateshead. Yeah, I, I think, if I remember correctly, I think he signed a contract extension partway. Uh, it might even have been in January. I don't know whether it was rumoured to be interest in him from elsewhere, but he signed a contract to stay at Gateshead, which I presume extends into next season. Um, incredible, really. Um, I, I think he's just flourished in that setup. I mean, he'd been uh, at York City, but he's had a, a season for the ages, really, in, in his own, you know, by his own standards. It's been terrific. And obviously, you know, Mike Williamson knew what he was after, knew which way he wanted to play. Saw Langstaff has been an integral part of that, and and he's rewarded him. Fantastic season for Langstaff and for for Gateshead, who uh, in the end uh, won what looked like quite a close uh, title battle until the last couple of weeks by seven points, because Brackley assured, of course, already of second place, could only draw nil nil with Chester, who. Uh, who their season fell away many, uh, you know, a long time before. We knew Fylde were also uh, on their own in third place, Dickie, but uh, they comfortably got the job done against Leamington, a 1-0 home win there. Um, And uh, another Nick Horton goal. And those two sides, Brackley and Fylde, will just have the one hurdle to overcome. And it'll be a home tie for each of them uh, in the semi-finals. Yeah, Will, uh, those are both um, next weekend. Um, They've got to wait, obviously, until the playoff eliminators take place on Wednesday and Thursday to know who they're going to face. But, um, uh, yeah, Fylde appear to be going into them in in pretty good form. You know, they didn't... um, I don't think Leamington... I don't know whether how much they would have exerted themselves. I saw them on Wednesday night in the Birmingham Senior Cup final, actually, which they was a, a... uh, they committed a lot to that game. They were the holders of that trophy. They wanted to retain it. It was played at Villa Park. Um, and congratulations to Paul Holler and his men for getting that. It was also their midfielder, Callum Gittings, his wedding yesterday. Um, so congratulations to Mr. and Mrs. Gittings. He obviously wasn't available. Um, but yeah, it ended up being a fairly routine victory for far by the sound of things. Absolutely. Kidderminster, they secured uh, fourth place uh, with a 1-0 win at home to Darlington. Keziah Martin got the goal, ensuring that Kidderminster uh, got a nice round number of 50 home goals this season. Um, obviously been a, a good ground to go to for goals and entertainment this season. And in the battle for fifth place uh, and the opportunity for a home tie in the elimination round, uh, well, that was between York and Chorley. We'll come to uh, York in, in a few minutes when we look at, uh, at the battle at the other end of the table. But as for Chorley... Um, they couldn't get the job done. They lost 2-0 at Spennymoor, who uh, ultimately, Dickey, uh, end up missing out on the playoffs by just three points, Spennymoor. Yeah, Spennymoor still had an outside chance. They, they had to go for it. Um, surely knew they were secure in either um, that either that fifth or sixth place. It just depended on, on how the results on the final day went between um, uh, York being at AFC Telford and, and obviously... This game here, it, they've missed out on that home advantage, which, 
yes, they only get it in the first round of the playoff eliminators. It would be away from, you know, from home, whatever, but you take whatever advantage you can get, don't you? And uh, yeah, just, just fell a bit short uh, on the day, um, uh, Jamie Vermiglio's side there. And uh, ironically now falling short of the fifth place, that means that they will travel to play at York in the eliminators. Uh, we'll come on to the other time in just a moment, Dickie. We need to uh, kind of take a step back and look in, on three different clubs' fortunes yesterday. Um, prior to kickoff, Boston United, Kettering, and Alfreton Town all had fighting chance of making that final seventh playoff place. How did it all pan out, Dickie? Well, it's ended up going to Boston United. They've ultimately uh, ended up holding on to the position that they held going into the start of the day. Um, they they were away at Farsley Celtic. We're, we're going to run through again that because it had implications at the, the other end of the table as well. But uh, yeah, they, they took a lead at Farsley um, uh, through Jake Wright. Not quite sure which one of the Jake Wrights it was. They do have two, as we've um, observed many a time. Um, Jake. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, ultimately, um, they were ahead in that game, which meant it. As long as they held on to that, it didn't matter what the other teams behind them did. They were they were going to hold on to that that playoff place, and that's ultimately how it transpired. Yeah, and uh, you know we, we we can't really go any further without looking at the uh, battle at the other end. Of course, just one uh, relegation place, and uh, you know lots of teams would have looked at that and played a bit more freely this season, thinking well, there's only one team goes down anyway. But going into that final set of fixtures. There were three teams that could have been that one team, Dickie, weren't they? One of those was your very own AFC Telford. Uh, another one was Farsley Celtic. And uh, the ones who had the biggest job of all on the final day were Geisley. Um, and I understand you've got a little timeline of us because who actually was going down and who went down changed on a few occasions throughout the afternoon. It did indeed, yeah. I mean, going into this one, um, Farsley were on... 37 points they were in uh, 20th position Telford a point below them um, and then Geisley a point below Telford so only a two-point span um, across the three teams going into this one Um, Telford got the best start of the day they uh, led through Keaton Ward uh, scoring a a terrific goal the Mantville Town Loney in the uh, the 18th minute of their game so that put Telford up to 20th position um, and dropped Farsley down below them. Geisley stayed bottom. Jake Wright then scored for for Boston at Farsley, which um, again kept them, um, but took a point off them. They they stayed in uh, last but one, but the real drama started early in the second half when Sean Tewton scored a penalty for Geisley away at Alfreton Town. Alfreton obviously needing the points in, in their bid for a playoff place. That actually dropped Farsley to the foot of the table at that point in time. Um, so they were the ones staring down the barrel all of a sudden. Telford got a bit of a scare then when Akeel Wright equalised for York at the New Books head. That dropped Telford a place, um, but kept Farsley in the bottom position. Um, they remained there when Danny Elliott then scored a second for Boston and it was looking bleak uh, for Farsley at that point. But yeah, the, the last couple of minutes at, at Alfreton Town, just an absolute sickler, sickener for Geisley. Geisley conceded to Connor Branson in the 88th minute, which dropped them back to the foot of the table. And then almost just to, as if to rub salt into the wound, Yusuf Usise scored in the fourth minute of injury time, which condemned Geisley to relegation on 35 points. Telford and Farsley level on 37, although Telford had the slightly better goal difference. 
but yeah, ultimately it's it's one of the two West Yorkshire sides that that's taken the drop. Yeah, I guess uh, it was that first killer goal for Alfreton, wasn't it? Um, because uh, really was never going to be enough for Guysley, was it? No, ultimately Guysley had to go for the win. Um, and, you know, when you've only got 90 minutes of your season left, you just have to give it absolutely everything. It sounds as if Guysley did that. You know, I think for the the, the 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 other two teams, that was always, you know, that's the thing with all three of them. All three of those teams essentially couldn't sit back and content themselves with, well, you know, we'll draw, we'll do us. Um, I know Telford certainly went for the win. Um, I'm sure Fosley Celtic did against Boston, but of course Boston were needing the points just as much to secure their playoff place. Um, and yeah, I guess for it to come so late it, it is is the real uh, sickening blow for Guysley. I know their manager, Steve Kittrick, who took over um, when Russ O'Neill and Marcus Bignett were placed on gardening leave a few weeks ago. Um, he praised his team, you know, the, the way they'd responded to him coming in through the door. Um, he even said, you know, if, if he'd taken over the position a month earlier, he didn't believe Guysley would have been in that position, which given Guysley's form, I, I do find that quite a big claim on, on his part. But, you know, um, ultimately, that's not how it's proven. Um, and they'll be playing their trade in the Northern Premier League next season. Superb stuff. Two other games in the National League North. Gloucester and Blythe, who uh, flirted uh, with that relegation position uh, or towards it at times this season, they ultimately uh, shared the points after a 2-2 draw, meaning that Gloucester finished sixth bottom and Blythe Spartans fourth bottom. Between them uh, are Bradford Park Avenue, who uh, um, it's fair to say didn't really turn up on the last day of the season. Dickie, did they? Uh, a morale-boosting 5-0 win on the road uh, for Southport. Yes, it was indeed. I mean, the, the two teams, I'm, I'm, with regards to Blythe and Gloucester, I must praise those both of those teams because when the chips were down, both of those sides got it together and, and were clear of, you know, a final day scenario, the, the one that faced the three teams that we've spoken about. So you've got to give um, both of the managers credit there, Lee Mansell and Terry Mitchell, for what they've done. Um, yeah, it wasn't a great day at the office for Bradford Avenue. Sounds like they might have already already been at uh, the beach a little bit. Um, they were 2-0 down uh, fairly early on, two goals from Jordan Archer. Avenue then had Nicky Clee sent off. Um, and then goals from Chris Doyle and two goals from Niall Watson, son of manager Liam. Um, sent them off into the summer break with a smile on their faces. It certainly did. And finally, we're going to have a look at the National League South. So in the National League South, you've got a similar picture at the top end. The title was secured uh, last weekend uh, by Maidstone, and they, like Gateshead in the North, had one final game at home. And they just pipped Gateshead with the crowd 4,175 um, at the Gallagher Stadium uh, for Maidstone's final game. And there was some real poetic stuff there. George Elakobi, what a man, what a player. Played in just about every division of professional football, including the Premiership. And he played his final game, made his final appearance um, on Saturday. And he only went and got on the score sheet, didn't he, Dickie? Yeah, you couldn't have scripted a better way to go out, could you, um, for George Ellicobi there? He, he did announce earlier in the week that um, that Saturday was going to be his swan song, his final game as a player. And yet, in the 16th minute, um, put Maidstone ahead. I know that um, from, from speaking to Tom Lang, we know from the podcast here that Hampton and Richmond were keen 
on spoiling uh, Maidstone's party yesterday as much as they could. David Fisher did level for them before half time, but yeah, Jerome Binnan Williams made sure um, it finished on a high note for for Maidstone. They uh, ran out two one winners, and yeah, once again we repeat our congratulations to them. They they've come through the pack in that south which has been so competitive this season and uh, yeah looking forward to seeing what they can do in the national league next season Dorking Wanderers were already assured of second place ultimately they finished six points though behind Maidstone because despite leading at uh, Hungerford uh, another Ryan Seager goal 90 plus three meant that Dorking came away with just a point after Bobby Joe Taylor's uh, 62nd minute goal and then there was a, a, a pretty good battle for third place and that one home semi-final to get to the final. The battle was between Ebbsfleet and Dartford and Ebbsfleet had it in their control. Um, ultimately, both teams pulled off a win and Dartford's was a spectacular win. They scored seven goals on the road at a fellow playoff uh, side, Eastbourne Borough. Uh, doubles for Roberts, Dinanga and Kalala, another one from Greenwich. Um, but Dartford could have, could have scored 15, Dickie. It wouldn't have made any difference because Ebbsfleet got the job done uh, against Chelmsford City um, and uh, Bingham with the uh, ultimately the winning goal there. Um, and they pipped Dartford to third place. So that's a, a real coup for Ebbsfleet. It, it, it massively increases their chances of progressing out of the National League South, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. You know, home advantage potentially in a, a semi-final and a final, you know, you don't have to go through, um, I won't say torture, but, you know, I don't know how enjoyable playoff games can be when you know what's on the line. They don't have to go through that. I mean, Dartford will have home advantage, but they're only going to have home advantage in their eliminator uh, first round tie later this week. Um, so, yeah, I mean, credit to Dartford for going for it. I mean, goodness me, you know, winning, winning, winning a game away from home by margin of 7-2, to particularly against a team like Eastbourne Borough. Um, but, yeah, ultimately it made no difference. Um, below Dartford or Oxford City, another team already assured of their playoff place. And they drew three all at Bath in a ding-dong of a game where they went 1-0 down, came back to lead 3-1 and uh, were then pegged back by Bath. It ended there. Um, And uh, so we can now say that Oxford City will have a home tie against Eastbourne Borough, who will go into that uh, playoff eliminator on the back of a 7-2 home defeat to uh, Dartford. I don't know the story behind that. I don't know if certain players were rested, etc. But uh, Oxford City at home to Eastbourne Borough. And then as for Dartford's home game, Dickie, well, it was the ultimate shootout, wasn't it? The battle to finish seventh was between Chippenham and Haven and Waterlooville. And they weren't involved in two games, were they? They were involved in one. It was at Haven and Waterlooville. Um, they held seventh place going into the game. So a draw would have been good enough for Paul Doswell's men. But, surprise, Dickie, they didn't. They didn't get it done. Chippenham did. Well done, Chippenham Town. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, uh, for to, to overtake them on the last day of the season. It's funny, when the fixtures come out, I often look down the fixture list for the three divisions and, and you think to yourself, which are going to be the big games on the final day of the season? Because it always seems to be that there is there are a handful of games that pit 
teams against one another, either for relegation or for promotion issues or either for playoffs. And it's trying to pick the one of their one of those out. I'm not sure we would have picked Hamilton Waterlooville against Chippenham as one of those, because I think we thought that Hamilton Waterlooville would be slightly higher up the table. Um, but yeah, they're going to finish eighth. And it was two goals from Jordan Young in the 70th and the 77th minute as well. Um, not, you know, a, a quick fire brace, not giving Havant much time to come back into the game there. Um, and you've got to say it's been a hugely disappointing season for Havant Waterlooville. We know they've had injury issues um, throughout the season. But we let's not take credit away from Chippenham Town. It's it's been a, a tremendous um, finish to the season for them to to snare a playoff place. And you know when you sneak in on the last day like that, you've got to yes, they'll be away from home to a Dartford team that you know are scoring goals for fun at the moment. But what have they got to lose? What have Chippenham got to lose? If they just go into that game and go for it, it's a bonus. Probably people didn't expect them to be there. Who knows what can happen? Yeah, it's an incredible achievement. Really one of the best achievements across the three national leagues. Uh, well done if uh, you're a chipper, a Chippenham fan. Um, uh, we haven't given Chippenham much, or Chippenham fans would say enough uh, coverage uh, on the podcast. I'd love to see if we can get somebody at uh, their playoff game at uh, Dartford um, to report on that one. Uh, the interim uh, manager... Uh, Gary Horgan was over the moon after the game, quoting from his uh, interview in the non-league paper. I'm so proud of these lads. They ran themselves in the ground to get this result. In many ways, it was a strange game. We knew we needed to quieten their crowd down. And after a few scares, we made a decent start. Jordan could have given us an early lead, but slipped at the vital moment. And then we did take the lead when a brilliant pass by Tom Meehew found Youngie and he finished brilliantly. Our fans were great and we really hope that they're all prepared for a late night at Dartford on Thursday. Tonight, when we get back, we have our presentation night, so I'm sure that will be a cracking evening. Um, yeah, 2,290 turned up there. A lot of them, I'm sure, um, expecting a half, um, I haven't to win or draw and progression, but uh, it won't be the case for, for Paul Doswell. Um, and I have to say, it is only rumour dicky. But, um, you know, we're hearing rumours that, um, that uh, Matt Gray's services might be uh, called upon by uh, a, a, another football league club. Um, and if they are, um, who's to say we won't see Paul Doswell back at Sutton again? Yeah, it, it, you know, uh, don't ever rule anything out in football. Absolutely not. You know, you would look at that situation and think, what on earth has Paul Doswell got? to prove at Sutton United, you know, but if, if there was to be a return, but like I say, you just can't rule that out. And, you know, this time last year, we were talking to Matt Gray um, as Sutton United were going up as champions and haven't they done tremendously in League Two to, you know, make Matt the centre of, um, you know, other teams' attentions. I, I'm sure that's, you know, not the way he views it. You know, he's he, he, huge credit will go to all his players and his staff, etc. But ultimately, you know, um, managers are the people that are behind goal scorers are probably the next in demand, aren't they? You know, everybody wants a, a good manager and, and Matt Gray is certainly one of those at Sutton. Absolutely he is and uh, well done Sutton. Uh, first season in the uh, Football League. They made, uh, they reached the Papa John's final and uh, they missed out on the final day uh, of making the playoffs just by one place and one point. A tremendous effort from 
uh, a former National League side. Just finishing up the roundup in the National League South. At the bottom end of the table, sadly for Billy Ricky, who made a real good fist of their uh, battle to avoid relegation towards the end of the season. Uh, and they even won on the final day of the season, 1-0 at Braintree. But it wasn't enough, of course, because uh, Welling United were already safe. Um, and despite uh, being safe, they did go down 2-1 at Concord, albeit uh, only in 90-plus-3, uh, with Green getting the winning goal there for uh, Concord. And Dulwich Hamlet beat Hamill Hempstead 2-1. And one thing that caught my eye there, Dickie, despite the fact that Dulwich Hamlet knew they'd missed out on the playoffs. Final home game of the season. And what a crowd, 3,334. I've not been quite across it this season, but I'd imagine their their, their record attendance just keeps on getting broken, doesn't it? You would think so. I mean, uh, Dulwich Hamlet, I think, know how to appeal very well um, to the the potential football spectators in that area. You know, they, they do pull in really good attendances they're really really sharp on their you know their social media and their marketing and having that almost slightly left field appeal if I can almost call it that um and you know it works tremendously well for them I think they'll be a side who are particularly disappointed that they weren't closer to the playoffs at the end of the season I think um perhaps we uh, will find out when we review our prediction soon but um I think we perhaps thought that they might be a little bit closer to those playoffs and or or, or even into them than they've eventually ended up one more game to take a look at and not particularly significant in terms of the game and the score itself it was St Albans City um who have uh, missed out on the playoffs too despite being in the playoff place for much of the season. St Albans City 2, Tunbridge Angels 3. And that win, I'm sure, from the players at Tunbridge Angels will have been testimony to and, uh, you know, in tribute to uh, manager Steve McKim, uh, who uh, was uh, told his services weren't required any longer at uh, Tunbridge in the week. And of all the managerial departures uh, that have occurred, Dickie, in the four or five seasons that we as a podcast have been covering the National Leagues. I can't remember one that ruffled the feathers of so many of us in our WhatsApp group as the departure of uh, Steve McKim. Um, I've got some quotes from him here, which I'll read and and, and, and then your thoughts. Uh, perhaps you can relay, um, you know, the thoughts, the combined thoughts of us in the, in the team, how we reacted to it this week. Um, They've made a decision, said McKim. I would have liked it to have been done a different way, but that's how they decided to do it, and I've got to live with it. It doesn't take away what we've achieved uh, at Tunbridge and and what the place has meant to me and my family regardless. I never ever say a bad word about the club at all. Everything that's happened there has been good. When things go against you, you just have to take the pill, swallow it and get on with it. Uh, with regards to the future, McKim said, well, I love football. I absolutely love football. Um, I know people say they take a year out, but I don't think I can do that. I love being involved, the environment, the challenges. Jobs aren't easy to come by nowadays, so you have to be patient. But if I get offered a job, I will listen to people. Um, and I think you will get offered a job, Dickie, won't he? Because his achievements at Tunbridge, given the size of that football club, uh, are unbelievable. Yeah, and I think some of that perhaps played into you know the response we had to it. You know, when you when you look at um, 
the very fact that Tunbridge are a National League South side in the first place. I mean, um, he said that he'd been tasked. His task was to keep Tunbridge in the National League South, and he'd done so. So, you know, I, I, I think there was a, a thing about, you know, the expectations there in that, you know, the, the expectations weren't any greater than that. And he'd fulfilled the, the, the you know, the, 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 they got the outcome they wanted. Um, so it's difficult to see. Uh, I mean, well, I guess we'll get a sense of it when Tunbridge make an appointment on somebody in future. It got that whiff about it that they perhaps already have somebody else in mind to do that i don't know it seems a very strange thing to do if you haven't got somebody else in mind um but i don't think steve mckim will be short of offers and any who knows the way the wheel turns in football you know looking at his achievements there might be a team a little bit higher up the division that thinks you know what we never ever thought that guy would leave tunbridge we you know we wouldn't have approached him because who'd have thought he would leave um but now that he is available and potentially if it's a club with maybe a little bit more by way of resources, um, that it could all, you know, it, it could work out nicely for Steve in the end. And I, I certainly hope that there is a good resolution for him and, and that he is in another job because the messages of support and the number of players, people involved in the game who are just saying, this just, just seems like an absolutely crazy decision, shows you the, 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 the level of respect that he has. Yeah, so... Uh... Well, uh, what a week we've had uh, and what a week or so we've got to look forward to as the playoffs get underway. Uh, A reminder then, uh, in the National League South, it's uh, eliminator time, Dartford at home to Chippenham, Oxford City at home to Eastbourne Borough and in the North, Kidderminster at home to Boston, York at home to Chorley. Um, As for Boston, well, I I think I picked them to win the title this year and they've just scraped in in seventh place and... uh, of course, Dickie, they did so at the expense of uh, Kettering and, the, the, you know, the irony of that's not lost on us with uh, the manager of both those clubs uh, being Paul Cox at one stage this season. Yeah, I mean, he was he was clearly, uh, I think he got Kettering into a position where they were aiming at the playoffs. Um, and then when he decided to, to walk out on them to go to Boston United, you did wonder that was... What, what what that was going to mean for Kettering. I have a suspicion that there may be Kettering fans who feel like they've come out of this with with the slightly better end of the deal here because they ended up with Ian Culverhouse as their manager. Uh, Paul Bastock is his assistant. Um, a bit of a change in the style of football. But, you know, it's a very young but hungry team at, at Kettering Town. They've got a lot of very uh, of players who I think are using that as their opportunity perhaps to... to bounced back in the game having um you know had to to, to fall out of the full-time game or academy level um yeah they didn't make it um yesterday i think they, it was a bit of a tough task to try and overtake boston um if that's the way it worked out but um i could talk for ages about you know the ripples that were caused in the national league north by my, my own club telford getting rid of gavin cowan um, and then their search for a manager there that potentially caused ripples at Curzon Ashton, which then meant that uh, Adam Lakeland left there and Farsley Celtic with a manager. And it all just seems to have sort of like rolled on and on from there. Um, but yeah, uh, uh, Paul Cox has ultimately uh, got Boston into the playoffs, which is where they, uh, a minimum of where they wanted to be. Whether they go any further, I'm not sure. Brilliant stuff. So in terms of the week ahead then, uh, in the National League on Tuesday night, Bromley against Altrincham and uh, Grimsby Town will get the opportunity or another opportunity to 
firmly secure their playoff place with a home game against Boreham Wood. And then the, uh, the massive game between Stockport County and Torquay on Wednesday evening. Uh, uh, the same evening as the National League North playoff between York and Chorley and uh, the South playoff between Oxford City and Eastbourne. Uh, and then on Thursday, it's the turn of Kidderminster v Boston and uh, Dartford versus Chippenham. Uh, and then uh, we'll go to the semi-finals on uh, Saturday and Sunday. Uh, some of them are scheduled for Saturday, but if both clubs agree, they can move the fixture to the Sunday to avoid a clash with the FA Cup final on Saturday. The final round of games in the National League on Sunday as well. So it's going to be a chaotic week ahead. Um, and I'm sure next week uh, listeners will record at some point late on Sunday evening and have our podcast out to you on Monday morning. Dickie, thank you very much for joining us as always on a really exciting week and congratulations to your side, Telford, uh, on securing not just their place in the National League North, but your place on this podcast again next season. <laughs> yeah, that was under threat, I have to say. I didn't, um, you know, that's clearly not something I would have let the players know or anybody like that, like they would have cared, you know. But uh, no, it's great to know that I'm going to be in your company again. Thank you. Yeah, you would be anyway, of course, because we still let Luke on. <laughs> and he's involved with Hyde, who are uh, obviously not a National League side right now. They were at one point and how they uh, probably crave for those times again. Who knows? what lies ahead but uh, listeners let's end it there thanks for joining us again have a great footballing week uh, good luck if your team's involved in the playoffs and uh, we'll speak to you again very soon play the theme tune <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs>